What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Coast to Coast. Right now, it's December 6th, Wednesday. We got our four first looks at single elimination in-season tournament. And man, that was absolute fun. We're here to break it down. We're going to take a look at some of the strategies we saw these teams use and what we really think is going to be a playoff preview. We have the Celtics and Pacers, Kings and Pelicans, Bucks and Knicks, Lakers and Suns, some big hitters. And we're going to talk about it here. And once again, we always want to thank you guys. Thank you for tuning in, coming in to check on what we got to say about these games. We're always happy to be discussing them with you, learning alongside you. And before we get all into it, please remember, subscribe to Coast to Coast, wherever you listen to your podcasts, throw us a five-star rating. Let us know what you think. Let us know why we're wrong, why we're right. We like to hear that from time to time. Ronan, I know you like to hear that. Before we all get started, Ronan, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Obviously. Adam Silver, big tick on on his uh, on his resume there. The Sorry. the in season tournament has has really shown up, and uh, those quarterfinal games were outside of maybe the Knicks and Bucks. That was a bit rough for me, but uh, outside of that, <laughs> they were there was a lot of really exciting games and really cool to see the intensity that all the guys, all the players are playing with in these knockout games. Yeah, I mean, just looking at everything at a whole, like major takeaway: this is such a success because I also kind of had questions about you know, fan engagement, you know, would they really care? And then that really solved itself early on. Everyone's super into it where the players really care. And it's very clear just looking at the product on the floor, like the buy-in from these players and how much they care about Vegas. And, and first of all, we got to get out of the way. How many times did we hear Vegas last night? <laughs> like how badly do we need to know that the NBA wants a team in Vegas. The NBA wants everybody to know that Vegas is important. And hey, just so you know, Vegas, Vegas, they're playing for a game in Vegas. They're playing to compete in Vegas. Did you know that if they hit this shot, they're that much closer to getting to Vegas? We get it. It's in Vegas. Got that out of the way. But regardless, man, like the competition on the floor, like it felt like the playoffs. Yeah. That so, was a big thing. Yeah. And I think we should just jump right into it. Let's get right into our first game that we saw the Celtics against the Pacers. Now, the last time they met, the Celtics just trounced the Pacers, decimated them. Pacers did not look like themselves. We're not able to get the same kind of offense going that they usually did. But we started to kind of see the same start. Pacers looked a little bit slow in the start. First quarter, they scored, I believe, 23 points. Um, Tatum working a little slow, but Brown getting started. What changed, man? Like the, this, this game really started to turn on in the second half, and the Pacers, I think, really announced themselves in their first TNT game ever. I mean, uh, the big thing, I guess, Tyrese Halliburton took his inhaler, as he said at the end of the game. He pop, <laughs> yeah. popped his inhaler at halftime, and he was good to go then. Obviously, he had a, a huge second half, came up with ni- with 19 points, had that clutch four-point play, of course. But uh, it was just a defensive intensity, something we pretty much haven't seen from the Pacers at all, ever. So it was that was a big thing. I think all of them kind of just looked at each other and just go, right, yeah, we're not a great defense team, but if we really go at it here, we just put all our energy into into defense that we don't usually do, we we can give ourselves a shot here. And that's exactly what they did. And that's that's exactly how it played out. They they played hard on the defensive end. They held the Celtics to 112 points. They've only held a team to less than that once all season. And that was the Spurs who had put up 111 against them. Like that's a sign for the Pacers that that they they stepped up on 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 the defensive end for once and and it and it bore fruit. And obviously they still had that great offensive impact. Which was uh, which was great to see, especially from uh, from Halliburton and guys like Buddy Heald and, and a couple of others. So 
it was great to see them actually be able to do some good things defensively while not taking away from their great offense at all. Yep, they 37 points in both the third and fourth quarter, still running up and down the court, still really just getting into quick offense, didn't look slow at all. And yeah, I, I think it was nothing really special about the the defensive side. No. Uh, the, usually, I, I hate when we when we get into like talking about a game and it's just like, well, they tried harder. Well, like I think the Pacers really just focused in on um, on ball pressure, help defense. Like they they really helped and recovered well, and that's not something that we always saw. The rotations were just they just looked a lot better. So I mean, that just begs a question: like, can they just play average defense? Because they played essentially average defense last night, like in a good way for them at the rate that they score, if they can get a few stops here and there, then they're golden. Like this looked like a team that can stay toe to toe with what is the best team in basketball. Um, I think the the crazy thing for me is how just relentless Halliburton is. Like when you, when you watch him play, it's like, there's no slowing him down and it comes from, you know, getting downhill comes from his step back three game comes from constantly whipping the ball around like he's not a guy that's going to hold on to the ball and zero turnovers last night again like how high it's it's funny like also when you looked at the stats so, someone uh posted this on twitter it's hilarious that he he put out that insane game with no turnovers and Jokic did this like twice in the last like 10 days and no one even talked about it because it's Jokic. but but side note um given all the success like how sustainable is that does that just a flash in the pan can the Pacers just keep that up is it a personnel problem? Like, where do we see this growing in terms of looking forward to them as not just a in-season tournament team, regular season team, but, you know, a team that's trying to be good in the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I don't see why it couldn't continue, even if it's not a thing consistently through the regular season, but it's something we see in the in the biggest moments. And and it, this isn't just a, a one-off. Like, that's that's the biggest thing to look at for the Pacers from, from here on in. Yeah, there's going to be games where all they need is their, is their offense, but in the bigger games against the better teams like the Celtics, if you are not going to play defense, your offense is just not going to have enough to, to get you the win, no matter how good it is. The Celtics are too good of a team on both ends of the court. So when they're playing the likes of the Bucks, well, obviously they're playing them now in the semifinals, they just need to do similar sort of things. Yeah, it's going to be tough for them to stop to stop Giannis or Dane, but look at the Bucks defense as well. It's going to be really tough for them to stop the Indiana Pacers. So if they can just perform to that same sort of level, I don't see why they couldn't be in the final for uh, representing the East. Yeah, I, I will say the the defensive effort is there, but thinking about the boards, that that is what concerns me the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Because I love seeing them really, really getting out and contesting shots and really like creating havoc on the perimeter. But when it comes on, to the interior... Um, I think the reason they had the upper hand here against Celtics, so they didn't have Porzingis. I mean, and, and we'll, we'll get into that in a second, but um, like they just did not have the pressure defensively inside and they did not have anyone to really box out effectively. Like they could have, it could have been a lot worse on the boards. They only gave up 13 offensive rebounds, but then you start thinking forward a little bit to, to Bucks. Um, maybe we'll give a little prediction here, but that that's something that does concern me. They're 19th right now and giving up offensive rebounds, 25th in offensive uh, rebound percentage uh, given up to opponents. And, you know, it can't just all be Turner. Like, the, the guards really got to get in there. 
Um, I mean, Buddy Hill's not a big rebounder. Bruce Brown is a guy that that helps him out there. But Matherin, though, that, that's a guy that you need to see a little bit more activity from. Um, I thought one, one takeaway from this game is, like, they they kind of needed an, another guy in, in the first half to to do something. As soon as they subbed in Matherin, I was kind of hoping that that would give them an extra spark. And good for the Pacers to find offense elsewhere. But Matherin is kind of a, kind of a big negative in this game for me your boy hey he set out at 16 points him and neesmith had 30 off the bench that was that was pretty neesmith. huge yeah neesmith, neesmith wanted blood he wanted celtics blood yeah. in that game he was really aggressive both offensively and defensively he was a real he was a real kind of a wild card plus for the for the pacers in that game yeah he he brings such energy defensively off the bench and that that is a guy that needs to be focused in on more like he brings that sort of defensive mentality that they need more of. It's a reason why he got, you know, 31 minutes in this game. And I mean, he really closed out well on the Celtics. Um, one thing I want to talk about with Celtics is two things really. And it has to do with Porzingis and depth. And this is not a panic question at all. I think it's a realistic question. Um, the Celtics I view as a championship contender in the class above most classes. Like they are a first class championship contender. How far do they go down without Porzingis? Are they second class, third class, whatever? Are they still a championship contender without Porzingis given their inability to have a post presence and their inability to really defend the rim as Al Horford's kind of taken a step back? Uh, I, I would say they they are mainly because like you're looking around the other teams, like maybe this is an opportunity possibly well, well Porzingis is, is due possibly due back this week, which is big. But uh yeah, you look at like other teams are having injury problems as well. So you're kind of thinking they're still it's kind of hard to really completely just throw them out uh, out of the yeah. equation or, or really drop them down. I think if we get to the playoffs and there's no Porzingis, then you're kind of like uh, okay, they're gonna need Al Horford to be like thirty year old Al Horford. They're yeah. gonna really need their offense to be absolutely purring. Tatum and Brown really gonna have to go off. At this stage, I wouldn't be too concerned about it because I think, like you see, like the Nuggets have, have been dealing with injury problems. The Suns, couple few other teams in, in, across the league. So it's kind of hard to really say how much they drop off, but. Yeah, if it gets to playoff time and there's no Porzingis, then you say they they become probably the second favorites at least, if not more, in the in the East. Yeah, and on that note, you know, depth. You go to Luke Cornett, who I think you know for what he does did a fine job. So that's really what you're you're looking at there. And then you look at other guys. You got time here, Sam Hauser. I mean, he's always going to be absolutely launching from three. He's got one of the quickest triggers in the league. And then who else? Peyton Pritchard, Delano Banton was a whole lot of nothing. Is depth really a concern for this team? Like when do you when do you start to care about that? I guess is you know you're not having a guy who really scores off the bench. Sam Hauser's doing his job as a three point shooter whenever he slots in. Um, is that something we should care about, or is that just going to correct itself? With yeah, it's tough to make the call on that. I I think. If it really was starting to become more of a problem, you could even make a move and possibly have have Derek White be leading the bench unit or coming off yeah. the bench. I think that's yeah. an option that they have in the bank that they could go to. 
I think the longer it takes Drew Holiday to really find his flow with it within yeah. this offense, I think that's the top, the period where I'll, I'll can I'll start to worry about the depth. But when as when 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 Holiday really fits in with the offense and really starts to get in a flow, I, I think I'll start to forget a bit more about the depth and that sort of situation. I think that's an area that's kind of a that's gone a bit under the radar, the the, the slight struggle, the drop-off he's had in terms of offensive production and, and just the general flow within the within the team as the as the point guard. Yeah, a lot less touches, and, and maybe it would be nice to see him have a little bit more run the bench unit. But overall, I mean, Pacers put themselves on the map. Loved seeing the crowd. Yeah, the crowd was just so, so, so excited to finally have like a really – real competitive game to be a part of. And we know that in Indiana, like they love their basketball. They love their Pacers. And to see that sort of sight, to see how they celebrated, that was just amazing. Um, I figure, you know, we talk about the Bucks. Might as well stay out East. It might as well get this one out of the way. Your Knicks faced the Milwaukee Bucks. And I mean, at the start of the game, that was looking like, all right, you know, this is, this is going to be a good matchup. Randall's playing well. Barrett's playing well. Brunson's playing well. I I think you know you, you you're turning into a Barrett hater. I, I was I was happy from what I saw with Barrett doing what he does well, getting in the paint, getting to his floater, playing efficiently that way at least. But shooting sub forty, but yeah, <clears throat> yes, 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 yes. But I w- I want to say that you know the, the Knicks had a chance, and then all of a sudden the Bucks just like unleashed and you just saw like full-fledged what the bucks looked like like how 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 do you even like react to that game it's that that was one of the best offensive games we've seen in a long time they shot what 63 percent from three not fluky just getting good looks every single time they got in the paint it felt like the knicks didn't even have a chance they didn't even play bad defense they just didn't even have a chance against this team yeah, obviously the three point percentage dropped down to just above sixty in the end, but obviously still still outrageous. Had twenty three makes. Uh, the Knicks went seven of twenty three from deep, which is pretty uh, pretty pathetic. And obviously, it's hard to equate when when the Bucks just went to another level. Like I don't know who's going to be really keep up with that sort of uh, that sort of three point production in, in, on any given night. But yeah, the it was just a real sign of this is what the Bucks can do. It was tough to really be annoyed at the Knicks for their performance. It was just the books just went off, and you just saw that games like on any given night they are capable of going off like this. So that's that's where you really see as much as we I've been critical of the books, uh, others have, have kind of questioned the books. This is this is what they are capable of. Yeah, and a lot of like it's it's easy like everyone saw the box score, everyone probably saw the highlights. Like Dame went off, Giannis went off. Chris Middleton, I do want to say he didn't go off, but he really played within the flow. Like he looked a little bit more like himself. Only 14 points with seven assists. And dimes were flying. Talking. The dimes were flying. Yeah. He had seven. Giannis had exactly. ten. Dame had seven. The 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 way that the way that they played at a different tempo and Middleton looked comfortable in that tempo. He was able to slow the game down a little bit, you know, get into the middle have some gravity with his shooting there and either dump it off to the big man in the role or kick it out to the weak side. And he really had a lot of control over, over that, uh, over the minutes that he played with the ball in his hands. And I think that's, that was really exciting to me because that's where the bucks get really dangerous because 
you have Giannis going off in his first minutes of the game, and then he sits, and then Dame goes off, and then they can kind of rest a little bit. And Chris Middleton can control the game, keep the pace a little bit slower, and then they can speed it up with Giannis. They can speed it up with Dame, and there's just there's so many options for them and how they want to attack there. And I mean, like, do do we do we even talk about the fact that Malik Beasley just when he's hot, man, like that that guy shoots the rock. And then, like I said, he just he just needs to play average defense. He just needs to try on that end. And all he needs to do is keep relocating, shooting, relocating, shooting, setting speed, whatever. Like he just needs to shoot that rock, and he did. And man, this team just looked impossible to stop. Um, and anyone else off the match that looked looked good to you? I, I mean, I, I uh, a- AJ Green, he he hit uh, some big trees in the first quarter when the books were kind of that really fully got going yet. He he really came in and hit some big trees that got them the uh, the initial lead, which was uh, which is obviously a good a good sign for them. If he can be become a bit of a sharpshooter for them off the bench, would be would be really big. Uh, outside of that, it was it was just kind of the all around team. They all kind of performed. The bench did a solid job, especially obviously Portis is a bit play big minutes, but Portis, uh, Bochamp, and and. Uh, and green all, all contributed from uh, from three, which was obviously it's obviously a big plus for the books whenever they get solid production out of their out of their bench unit. And it was just it was just impressive. It was just like they they did a number on the Knicks. Like the first time the Knicks had con- uh, let out uh, thirty seven plus in like three straight quarters since the Wilt one hundred point game. That oh was that God. was a stat that was out there, the highest uh, points <laughs> that the Knicks have allowed in like. 40 years or something as well. I mean, they they absolutely dematerialized the Knicks. And I think the Knicks were the number one ranked defense going into the game last night. That was really that was really an element of the book said, okay, let's let's put that that let's put that case to bed anyway. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I think key takeaway from the box, it's it's pretty simple. Like you it's the box score says it all. Like this is not a complicated thing. They and in terms of what offense they ran, like they ran some pick and roll and they got easy looks off of that. They they allowed Dame to get downhill, and any time that Dame or Giannis got downhill, got in the paint, it was just like a vacuum, like a black hole. Like everyone sucked right into the paint, and all the shooters are wide open. They just had such easy offense, and that's that's gonna keep going. That's that's the theme, and that's what we were talking about last week. Like I'm not worried about the Bucks defense. The Bucks defense can and probably will get better. They won't be elite, but dude, this is this is the kind of offense you get when you're when you're toggling between. Dame going off from three, Dame getting in the paint, Giannis going off wherever he wants in the court, Giannis playmaking, Dame play. Like, there's just so many options that it doesn't end. And I think to conflate that with the Knicks, who I didn't think even played a terrible game, that there are just a couple things with the Knicks I want to talk about, though. And I think it starts with Grimes. Quentin Grimes, a guy that I think we're both high on. Came and hated that, after the game. He wasn't happy. Yeah, um, and I, I would be too. One shot, one shot, that's it. And this is also a guy that, you know, people should be reminded, like, was a kind of a sticking point for them not to trade for Donovan Mitchell. Like, yes, it was all the other picks too. Yes, it was probably also R.J. Barrett, but Quentin Grimes, was, it, it seemed like in the reporting, that was like, that was one of the big points of maybe not because Quentin Grimes, you believe in him. And I, I think he's a huge part of this team. This is not to say that, you know, a big thing on him. I think it's on the rest of the team to get him involved. How is he not getting enough shots? Is it on him? Should he be? Should he be more active on the perimeter? Is it on 
the guys who have the ball all the time, RJ, Randall, Brunson, especially Randall and Brunson, what 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 needs to happen for him to to get going? Because that I think that that is a microcosm of a bigger issue for the Knicks. I'd make the argument that it comes down to Coach Tibbs. To be honest, is his unwillingness yeah. to really to really commit to accepting that the three point game is a ginormous part of of the NBA now, and you have to really play into it a bit more. And when you have a sharpshooter who's pretty consistently open on uh, in in the corners, you got to find him more. And he's been hitting great. Like he's been shooting well this year. He's been making a lot of big shots in, in a lot of big moments when he's got uh, got the chance. He's been shooting with no hesitation, which is great to see. So I don't see why they wouldn't go to him more. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can see why he's frustrated. I, I think Brunson and Randall, as much as they're always looking for their own shots, they they dish the ball pretty well. Randall's been great uh, as a playmaker so far this year. So I, I wouldn't think it's down to the players. I think the direction they're getting from the coach is is uh, is not to probably to, to find Grimes to, to look for their own options to work a two man game between like Randall and Brunson rather than rather than kick to the open man Grimes. That yeah, that's always true. We never know like, you know, where where the strategy is coming from. And we hear it from from Randall that, you know, you should be getting him more shots. I mean we've seen a similar story with with other players like um like Josh Hart, you know, getting him more involved and in how he improved there. But I think you know that's that's such a big thing that they could unlock, and it's the the offense that they could unlock there is very important because you look at Randall Brunson, RJ. They they were efficient. They combined for eighty eight points, and they're putting pressure on the rim. But they're all really hard shots. A lot of that is is on you know two two guys. You got two three guys with feet in the paint. There, there's someone open on the perimeter, and when you got got Brunson is shooting fifty one percent on catch two threes. Even Chenzo shooting 41.6% on catch two threes. RJ, your RJ Barrett is shooting 39.7% on catch and shoot threes. Grimes, I think he's a, he's a little better than this. He's shooting 38%. So it, it's not just Grimes. I mean, they have guys that, you know, can space the floor. And I, I think this is where it probably comes into coaching. Their their lack of volume from there is a uh, is not just a product of coaching, but I think it is – is also a product of the kind of players you have. Brunson is, you know, focused on getting his in the middle of the lane. Randall, who I think played excellently against Giannis. Like Randall was yeah. right there toe to toe with Giannis. He played a fantastic game. And to, to ask them to do more is, you know, a little unfair to, you know, the overall scope of it all, but because they played such a good individual game. But the team game is bigger. That's where coaching needs to come in. And like they, they need to do more to get looks from the outside. I think overall they played an excellent game. If this is a seven game series, I think it's pretty even. I think Knicks make some adjustments, you know, to to find ways to to slow down the Bucks' offense. I think they they will find ways to continue to get their own. Um, I think they played valiantly for, against a, a Bucks team that literally just set records that are just went back to Wilt Chamberlain. So, hat tip to the to the Bucks. Knicks, you played a good game, just just not good enough. Um, it's the story of the Knicks this year, unfortunately, it's, uh, it's good, not good enough. Unfortunately, it's just <laughs> that's just what the Knicks are. It's it's disappointing, but it's the way that it is. And hopefully, hopefully that can change with the possibility of a trade. I, I don't really see it happening, but maybe. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, the Knicks that's the Knicks this year. Good, just yeah. not good enough. Good, not good enough. Kind of feels a little similar to what we saw with Kings and Pelicans. Let's move out west. What 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 do you see there, Kings Pelicans? 
Pels get the win. Look pretty dominant most of the game. But where, where do we start here? Pelicans were the only road team to get a victory in the quarterfinals. Um, pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, one thing that I noticed straight out the bat, we, we saw instantly saw the great and the awful of the Sacramento Kings in that first mm-hmm. quarter. Red hot start, go up mm-hmm. 15 points, then just go off, and they end up only going in by a point uh, up uh, going into the second quarter. Like that, that is a, a massive swing to happen in in a, in the first quarter of basketball, in like in a high intensity knockout sort of situation. But again, they they got big impact off the bench. Alvarado, Trey Murphy, they provided big impetus to really get the the Pelicans back in contention. And then obviously they got the lead and they and they didn't give it up again, which was great. The 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 intensity of the Pelicans, the all round team game that they played was was really big. Yeah. And I the the fact that they had to kind of dig themselves out of a hole early on, which they did magnificently and very quickly, um, is, is something I do wonder because things just looked a little too mucked up and slow with Jonas and, and Zion there. And, and that happens a lot. But when you face a really good offensive team like the Kings, like you you're not gonna really be able to to have Zion chasing guys down, especially shooters like um like Keegan Murray and playing in the drop with, with Jonas Valanciunas. There's, there's just so many ways to attack a defense with Zion and Jonas in the front court. And once they switched it up and they went small, Zion at the five, and they got worked Trey in there, they worked Alvarado in there, Marshall, Herb Jones, and had CJ running that unit, they, they really started to get the intensity up. And, I mean, it's just an intensity defensively that they had at times early last year and the year before, and this is something that you know. Once they're fully healthy, like I think that's their identity. That that's that's their identity. You know, the second second part to their identity is Brandon Ingram. And dude, I I need to I need to talk about a couple stats here. Like this dude, I think has done something I didn't realize, which is become like a really true half court pure scorer. Like, and he's been that, but on like an elite level, like a borderline Kevin Durant, um, MVP candidate, DeMar DeRozan type of guy. Dude, this guy is in the 91st percentile in shot making inside the arc. He's shooting over 50% with on, on defense with, with guys right in his grill. He's shooting better. He's shooting 56.4% with defenders all over him from two. I mean, this guy is really, I think, the best player in the palace. It's not Zion. It's Brandon Ingram. And I think Brandon Ingram is kind of making it clear here, the pecking order. Like Zion is is the guy who's going to be in all the, the news. He's going to be the guy that gets all the hype. And he's going to make plays on the offensive end. But when it comes down to if they need a bucket, if they need to like really get their offense going, like he he kept them going throughout this game. Because the Kings continue to put pressure on. They really forced it into like a one-on-one scenario. There weren't a lot of huge advantages. And Ingram took advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is probably this might be the first time I've watched a full Pelicans game this season, and and I was I was really impressed with Brandon Ingram. He looked absolutely unbelievable. Thirty, 30 points, uh, six six assists as well. He shot fifty percent from the field, fifty percent on threes. Like he was just mesmeric. He was the difference maker, and and it was impressive to see it. Like 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 watching that game, you really like like Zion often still looks like a bit of a fucking lump when he's out on the court. Like he's just so thick and he still looks like he's not 
completely. Are we, completely are we still body shape. shaming Zion? Like, yeah, come on, he, do, he looks like he's still not completely in shape. But Ingram, you're right. Ingram looks like the lead guy. He know he's like, I know this is my team. Whether other people know it, who cares? I'm I'm gonna go out and do my thing. And and he did that last night. And he's and he's really looked great when he's been on the court this year. And if that continues, then the Pelicans really do become a problem. Yeah, the 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 thing that we'll see in the playoffs, and I think that the great thing about these games, is it's a playoff preview. This is single elimination games. These guys are playing really to the very end. And the shots he was making, the, the, like when the Kings really, really pressed on the defensive end and they forced him to make tough, he just made them. They, they weren't tough shots from him. He was making So when, when you look at his numbers, like this is just what he does. He makes tough shots. And before he was like a inefficient scorer. But now if he keeps this up, he's evolved from, you know, kind of an inefficient shot profile kind of guy to one of those rare type of guys who does it but does it efficiency efficiently 90 if he keeps up that 90 90 plus percentile kind of rate for his mid-range shooting like that's that's something sustainable and that's something to look at and that's something to also restructure how your offense works moving forward um given how you know zion can't always be bullying inside even though i kind of expected him to against the bonus but it's one game it's fine and you know cj can you work CJ off ball continuously? Can you continue to, to get him there? Because in addition to the Jonas and Zion defensive question, it's also a offensive question. Where, where does this team look its best? And I think Brandon Ingram is proving the point that this team is at its best when he's, you know, running things, when he's, everything's running through him. Um, What what do we think about the Kings here? So they, they've lost to the Pels now three times in the last two weeks, and they've looked mortal. I mean, the, the Pels have had a defensive rating 109 against them. We talked really good about the Pels defense. Um, but it, it seems like they just didn't have that next level. And I, I don't know where that next level is supposed to come from because, you know, we didn't see a terrible game from Fox. We didn't see a terrible game from Sabonis. But the Pels just had more weapons. They had more ways to answer the them defensively. And the Kings didn't have a, a real counter there. Yeah, I think obviously Fox obviously had a good scoring at overall, but he had a pretty inefficient night. He, he struggled with uh, to really get his shot going at all. Uh, I think it was a blow to them that Keegan Murray got got that knock on his back, and even though he came back, I don't I don't know if he hit another shot after he came back. So he had started really hot and 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 couldn't really keep it going. Similar sort of vein to to Kevin Herter, he obviously made a couple of shots throughout the game, but he started hot and then couldn't really sustain it. So. When when the kind of uh, role guys aren't really hitting their shots, uh, and you you need like a, a shot out of out of Herder or or, or Keegan Murray when when things aren't really going for for De'Aaron Fox, and that's just not happening. That that's when the the Kings really start to stagnate because you know you can't really give the ball to to Herder or, or, or Murray and expect to take someone off the dribble or that. They 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 need to be shooting for you, and if it's not coming from Fox and it's not coming from Monk then things really start to stagnate. But I wouldn't be too worried about, about the Kings. I think they just need to get into a better flow. They're kind of a bit off it at the moment. They've had a couple of injuries, so I wouldn't get too worried about them. But yeah, like I was saying, when when it's not Fox and it's not Monk, then things kind of tend to stagnate a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Harrison Barnes, too, he's, he's usually a quiet scorer for them. Um, and he... 
was a big nothing, one point in the second half. Keegan Murray, I'll give him credit. I mean, he 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 didn't shoot efficiently, two of five from three, um, and couldn't really get in the paint. Obviously, he's ailing. His back is ailing. Couldn't get that same lift off his shot. But I mean, he still played through that, and I got to give him respect for that. Um, Kevin Herter too, a guy who just really you you admire the the rebounding, you admire the him getting over screens and really showing a lot of effort. But he's he's got to shoot better. He can't go one of four in the second half. I tell you, I love he's, his he's rebounding. Just... He got a huge rebound for me on Sunday in fantasy that I really needed. <laughs> I, I love I love Kevin Herter's rebound. Dude, but <laughs> he, he finds ways, man. He, he finds ways to to do other things. But he's he's got to he's got to score. Um. So I mean, at the end of the day, maybe this isn't like a a panic thing, but things have leveled out a bit. You know, they've they've been given tough looks by the Rockets. Rockets have really defended them well. Thunder have really defended them well. The Pelicans have really defended them well. The Warriors have really defended them well. There's just teams that have started to to figure them out, holding them below their 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 scoring uh, averages that they expected last year. This is always a worry with them. When things start to even out a little bit, where do they stand? Like there was no way their offense could stay at that elite of a level for for another year and and this year they've obviously had a few injury problems which we we talked about in the off season and now we're kind of seeing them look a lot more human and now it's a question of do they have enough to really take this next step or not yeah and I, my question also is it's not a trade question because we don't have time for that but if it was just let that sink in Davion Mitchell a guy who's like you know supposed to be part of their future a guy they drafted in the lottery a guy that was huge for them defensively in in the playoffs last year um a guy that they put on this big screen way too many times for a guy who didn't play it it was like the nba wanted like the the broadcast wanted you to know that hey this guy is a good player and he's on the bench not playing oh and he got replaced by this guy who's a player just so you know here's his face again and again and it's like okay where where is his place now on this team? And yeah, um, they, they say he needs to earn his time. Fair, sure. But he's he's a guy that, you know, I think needs to grow more. They need to find more growth. They need to continue to develop players. They need to continue to find new ways, like we said, to to counter. And if, if it's embracing um, a new defensive identity as well, which they've done better, they, they've shaved it down and now 20th defensive rating um that that's something that's an improvement from last year 24th can they just find ways to incorporate him can they find ways to creatively you know keep him involved and and keep him growing in this organization because you know the the rumors are going to start to come you know he's a young gifted defensive point guard who has potential on the offensive end and he's not a nobody he's someone that could be useful to this team it could be useful to a lot of teams so just curious really where 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 the Davion Mitchell story is going and if it'll stay in Sacramento or if or if uh, they'll continue to swirl those trade rumors. Yeah, I think they, they did mention, I think, that he was sick uh, for that game. So that's why he was he was only going to be used if they if they really needed him. And maybe they did, but uh, he wasn't used in the end. I think he should at least be having kind of the same sort of impact we see from from Grand Theft Alvarado on the uh, on the Pelicans. That that should be a, a similar sort of role that we see from from at least from from uh, Davion Mitchell in Sacramento. But uh yeah, that's definitely one I think to to keep an eye on. But close it out, just pals. 
Brandon Ingram looked unbelievable. Going to be really exciting to see them go up against the Lakers in the in the in the semifinals. Yeah, and in they, they, Las they Vegas. In the, <laughs> <laughs> dude, I mean, they have it all. I, I just have to end on that. Just 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 opining on the fact that they they have their go to score, they have a a secondary star, or and they have a tertiary star. They have, they have CJ McCollum. They have a they have the size in the paint. They have the longest list of competent wings on the perimeter one of them being a top five defender another one being a great scorer and they have that pesky guy they, they have jose alvarado they have that guy who can really get in your grill and then that doesn't even end there they have another one they have dyson daniels who's also kind of on that wing list like they have just so much depth and it's starting to come together and we were excited about it at the beginning of the year didn't pan out it's starting to come together now that they're healthy and dude watch out the pelicans you know if this is i'm really curious what i was thinking about with the big picture with the in-season tournament is how does this change the dynamics of the season? Because um, it's not all about headlines, but it is about momentum. And momentum carries not just in games, but throughout the season. So teams can take headlines and take overall trends as you know ways to continue building. And if a team wins a in-season tournament, where, where does that take them? Does that, does that kind of like energize the team? Does that, does that bring them forward? Is that something that teams like use to, to continue building? And the Pels are definitely one of those teams that – given a model for success and, and given how much talent that they have, like how much could this propel them? And I'm just really pumped to see that. Um, let, let's end here on our Lakers and Suns matchup last night. Such a close game. Do we just get it out of the way talking about that last call? That was, that unfortunately is kind of a stain on what was overall the tremendously fun game to watch. Yes, I. This is probably my bias coming out. Obviously, it is, but there oh, is no. a slight, there is oh, a slight view God. you can get where where the call is understandable. But for the most part, it's not it's not as clear cut as it should have been, and and it should have been one probably probably should have been a jump ball or or whatever way they they play it out from there. But uh, yeah, obviously Lakers got lucky. Being LeBron James really helped in that situation, no doubt. It, it it's funny too because like I I actually clicked on like a few of those posts uh, just showing the replay to be like, I wonder who could even possibly defend this as being a, a maybe okay call. And of course it would be someone <laughs> like you. LeBron stands everywhere, finding the, that one, that one millisecond angle of the ball slightly touching Austin Reeves. leg. no dude, there's no, no possession. Let's get that out of the way. Zero possession. That was a bad call. I don't think that it necessarily would have tied the game. Maybe who knows, but at the end of the day, not the right call. But all that aside, 99% of the game, fantastic matchup. We saw a lot here. Um, first, first thing, first thing, first thing. Suns, God, they are bad in the paint. And the Lakers yeah. knew it. And the Lakers just play after, win at Eubanks, win at Nurk all game long. And you look at it, they're right now, they're 24th in uh, opponents' points in the paint. Um this is how funny stats are, though. When, when you're looking at that, somehow the Suns are leading the league in blocks per game. I don't understand. That doesn't make sense to me. Like that, they're. I'm just gonna leave that there. You can edit that out if you want. I, I don't get it. It's there. But at the end of the day, the Suns were just bad interior. They could not stop AD. They could stop not stop LeBron getting the rim. They could not stop anything there. And that was the story of the first half, where the Suns just honestly just looked overmatched and outsized. And then you look at the second half. Lakers now have to deal with a packed paint. Suns are playing gap on everybody. Not named Austin Reeves. 
and things kind of change there. And you notice, wow, okay, Lakers don't have enough shooters. Gabe Vincent's hurt, but sure, they don't have enough shooters. And this is an Austin Reeves game. Like at the end of the day, he didn't he didn't have the highest amount of points, but Austin Reeves saved the Lakers in season tournament with 13 points in the third quarter. They the Lakers only had eight points on 17 shots outside of Reeves 13 in the third quarter. And without that, I mean, we'd be talking today about how the Lakers don't have shooting. D'Lo's not doing anything. AD, AD, where was he? Like, yes, the paint was packed. Yes, it was against him there. But where, what did you see from how the, the Lakers responded to the Suns increasing the pressure in the paint and just disrespecting Lakers shooters? And I don't even know if you can call them shooters sometimes. But what would you see there? I mean, the Lakers do what they do pretty regularly. They rely on their their clutch play. They rely on their on their big time guys. That's why they paid Austin Reeves the money. He is capable of this. He had a really tough start to the year. He's really started to come in come into his own coming off the bench. And when he gets hot, when he's really feeling it, he is he is like he, he can play to a level where he's like a, an all star sort of level. I'm not saying he is one, but he can on any given night he can play at that level. And that's that's what they turned to because AD did his usual thing, absolutely dominated the first half and then decided, eh, I don't fancy it here in the second half. Like, how does that, a guy like Anthony Davis, who's pretty much eating all his points in the paint, go 10 of 26 from the field? Like, that, that's just that's just awful. But, yeah, LeBron and, and Reeves kept it going. They they hit some big shots. LeBron had that first, that, that big three before a timeout in the fourth. Then obviously Reeds had that huge three point dagger that that put them up five, uh, with uh, which fifteen seconds to go. Then, I mean, it's what the Lakers often have to do because they go so ice cold from from with their shot. They 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 shot thirty seven percent in this game and they still managed to come out with a win because they do have those individuals that can save them and that's that's what they rely on often. Yeah, and the the Lakers are that good inside, but the Suns are just they're just that bad. The mm-hmm. Lakers got 21 offensive rebounds, which led to 19 second chance points. And, you know, they, they're also attacking in the in the break. And the Suns also, they need to be a little better with the ball. 22 turnovers, right? Terrible. Awful. Terrible. Um, and it can't just be on book. The, the thing is, book is doing so much. I You cannot criticize Devin Booker because he's dealing with traps like 30 feet away from the basket. Like half the time he's double teamed half the time. He's not even able to get an open shot. I don't think he's seen an open shot in like two years. I mean, this guy is really being pressured to the max. And I mean, he's gotten better. I mean, it's, you've seen him develop as a player, but there needs to be more playmaking outside of that. And that's what we hope to get from Beal. Honestly, I, I leave this game thinking about how much better can this Suns team get? And they won't get better inside. Um, it could be shooting luck, but it, it seems like their perimeter defense is held up. They're top 10 in opponent shooting. Um, they're 24th, and like we said, inside the paint. But what Beal can do is at least take some of that away. You can't double um, book with KD, Beal, and him on the floor. And that that's just going to open up a whole can of worms to the league if, if they can get that going, if they can all be healthy. But it just looks so difficult right now. You know, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all who's on the floor. 
um, because they just don't have enough confident shooting there. Grayson Allen, really the only guy who looks the part. I mean, he had a tremendous game. He had a tremendous game. Um, but we're Eric, trying Eric to Gordon too. Eric Gordon, he didn't he didn't have a great game last night, but for the most part over the last while, he he's been he's been hitting a lot of shots as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I I mean from from the rest of the rotation though, like they they need someone else to step up, and we haven't really seen that. I'm bummed to see that Yuta Watanabe is not really worked mm-hmm. into his rotation at that point. I thought he was going to be such a perfect catch and shoot three and D slot right in type of guy, but like Keda Keda Bates the up when he's getting run, he's not a shooter. Kogi is not a shooter. Nasir Little. I hope he can become a shooter. If Nasir Little is the guy, it for me it was either him or Yuta. Um, but someone needs to to find their range and really help them out because it can't just be book facing doubles every single game. And Katie's just gonna Katie. Like he had Katie had one of his best games I've seen in a while. That was that was a fun game to see him uh competing against the Lakers, him against LeBron. I was still a bit annoyed that he didn't take over as much as he maybe should have in, in, in the clutch in the last couple of minutes. I feel like he didn't really put up as, as many shots. The ball wasn't really with him as much as it should have been. But yeah, now obviously still a great game. I think he went like 14 or 19 or something like that, or like 12 or 17 or somewhere around that marker. Like he hit some, he hit some huge shots. He was going off from three outside of the air ball with the last shot, but we won't, we won't get into that. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's difficult to judge the Suns really because you know they're not a full, they're not at full tilt. We just need to see them healthy, and that's that's the big thing. And and we just have no idea when that's going to happen because you know, both Booker and and KD are always susceptible to an injury too. Was so like the time by Beal's back, maybe Durant needs to have a couple of games off, or Booker picks up another knock. So it's so tough with the Suns. I, I just really want to see them healthy and really see what what they can do as an offense, and really see how much we forget about their lack of uh, size uh, once the big three is all there together. Yeah. Um, Nurk's just exposed, Eubanks exposed, Shooter's exposed, but Lakers also exposed a little bit. So let's get into a prediction here. Pelicans, Lakers, who's winning that matchup? I'm kind of tempted to 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 say the Pelicans. I I feel like they could really ruffle the feathers of the Lakers. And if the Lakers want to do what they usually do and, and take the take the first half off against the Pelicans, they 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 probably won't be able to get back into it. But at the same time, if it's in a game where they're within like 10 points and we're going into the fourth quarter, you believe that the Lakers have the players capable of, of stepping up and getting the dub. Yeah, I, I'm curious about that because what we will see is very similar to this. They're going to use the same formula. They're going to go at Jonas. They're going to go at Zion. And no Larry Nance Jr. So they're really lacking uh, some depth up front. So how much will the will the wing defense of the, the Pelicans help here? We'll, we'll really get to see the the full full versatility of some of their wings and to see if they can really uh, take it to the Lakers inside. Now, I'm, I'm going I'm to stick with you, though. I, I think the Pelicans are too good, good offensively right now. I think they, they just have too much. Um, Delo's going to continue to struggle, I think, against their perimeter defense. And I don't, I don't really see how Austin Reeves is going to survive that as well. I, I think there's just too much defense there. Austin Reeves won't be able to save him again. And the East... The Bucks and the Pacers. Bucks aren't going to do that again. But against the Pacers, they might. But if the Pacers want to play their defense again, I don't know. Let's stick with Halley. Come on, Halliburton. Step up again. Let's see it. The the 
in-season tournament has been has been your show. You're using this to, to really raise your stardom in this league. Let's see it continue again. I'm going with oh. the Pacers. We're we're gonna a lot of this is gonna hinge on on Obi Toppin. I'm gonna throw it on Obi Toppin. Can Obi Toppin play some defense? They they need they need someone with size. Who 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 with size on the on the Pacers is gonna step up and attack? I wonder the if they'll pass. have Jalen Smith back actually. That, that could be that could be important just for extra bit of size, extra bit of rebounding in there. I'm not sure if he'll be back or not. I'm not sure what yeah. what his situation is. Um this would be such a typical way for me to end a podcast talking about someone who's irrelevant right now. But unfortunately at this point, Jarris Walker is still in G League. Mm-hmm. Back in the summer, we kind of thought maybe he'd be a, a one of those slot in rookie performers. He's a guy that really fits in, but clearly not really ready for the NBA level. But when you see games like last night, you're like, man, Jarris Walker would be awesome right now. What what, what he would do to, to help uplift the the defense. Cause you're staring at a team like the Bucks and I have zero answers for how they could possibly defend that team now will it be the bucks of yesterday or even the the bucks of of the rest of the year which was put out there they win pretty much every single time lillard has an average good game so who's gonna he stop hits over 20 they won every game is that right i think it's something yeah. like that yeah yep and i just don't see that happening that's, that's bucks bucks and one bucks and one so if we're if we're if we're following this all the way through, I, I think I'm taking Bucks taking it all. I think Bucks are are they're aiming for that two championships in one year, first team to ever do it. I, I think Bucks are taking it all. Yeah, I think uh well, like obviously we know the NBA wants LeBron to win it and really hype up this in season tournament. Oh, the greatest of all time <laughs> when one wanted that in season tournament. Yeah, that sort of that sort of buzz. That's certainly how they're gonna play it. I still won't rule the Lakers out, even though I predict I'm predicting the Pelicans, but yeah. I think if we got a Pelicans Bucks matchup in the final, the Bucks are going to win it. But I'm still going with the Pacers. I think the Pacers are capable of doing a job. I think this is this is their playground this in season tournament, and they're, and they're they're gonna they have another big big night in them on uh, on Thursday. I love it. All right. Well, we're going to be seeing the Pacers upgrade their defense yet again, hopefully, and more in season tournament basketball to come, more coverage to come here from Coast to Coast. But I think that's going to about do it for us. Ronan, take it away. Thank you all so much for listening. My thanks to Chris for joining me. Remember, you like what you're hearing. We are everywhere across social media at Coast to Coast NBA. And most importantly, remember to take every shot and love every moment.